Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Welcome to Beyond Reason. A show for those who dare to have an open mind. Now here's your host, Justin Cancellari. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new Beyond Reason, the show for those who dare to have an open mind. My name is Justin Cancellari, the host of this show, and tonight we've got an amazing show for you. We're bringing on Preston Dennett, author of Undersea UFO Base. Preston began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters. Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 21 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologists, and others. He has appeared on numerous radio and television shows, including Midnight in the Desert with Art Bell, Coast to Coast with George Knapp, Exploring Unexplained Phenomenon with Scott Colborn, and many others. And he has appeared on Unsealed Deep Sea UFOs 1 and 2, UFO Hunters, and more. He has taught classes on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the U.S., Preston, welcome to Beyond Reason. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit how you got uh, interested in doing this research and how you got started with the book. Uh, yeah, you know, I actually uh, was very skeptical of UFOs growing up. Uh, didn't believe in them, not for a second. Mm. Uh, heard a report on the news. This was, I remember it vividly, November, mid-November 1986. Uh, Tom Brokaw, one of those guys, Dan Rather, gets up on the news desk and says, this pilot saw a UFO over Alaska. And the newscasters all kind of laughed. They talked about it for a few seconds, literally, and moved on. But I thought, my God, you know, this pilot has got to be lying. You know, what is going on? Is he, He's got to be hallucinating, right. <laughs> uh, misperceiving, or what have you. But he didn't see aliens, obviously. Uh but, you know, my brother had seen a UFO. 
Okay. I remembered that. And so I asked him about it. He's like, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, I remember we all just kind of laughed at him. It was several years earlier in the seventies. Okay. And, uh, I didn't believe him, but now hearing this pilot, I asked Marco again, you know, what he saw, he described this metallic object with lights all around it. I'm like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, honest to God, you know, Greg was there and Phil, his friends. Mm. So I called up Greg and I called up Phil and they're like, yeah, it was metallic. It had little lights on it. We chased it. You know, there were other <laughs> people chasing it. I'm like, wow. You know, and so I start, I started to ask people. I found out that I had a lot of people that I knew um, 25% even uh, mm. who had had really dramatic encounters. Hmm. What, uh, one lady, she's a, a good family friend, Sylvia, a pilot and also a scuba diver, you know, a good witness. Hmm. And she just, she described this egg-shaped object that floated over her house, totally silent except for a small or a low buzzing noise. And I brought it up at work, and the lady I'd worked with for years and years <laughs> is like, yeah, me and my whole family saw this object darting around. It would stop and hover, and then it would shoot off. And in walks Dorothy, you know, another lady I'd worked with for years, and Dorothy's like, oh, UFOs? One followed us home from the library. She's like, no, <laughs> I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, my friend was there. My mom, I ended up interviewing all of them. She says, precedent was so weird because we left the library at 9 p.m. exactly. She says, I'm sure of it because it closes at 9 and that's when we left. And this thing follows us home. We live five minutes from the library. And uh, as soon as it shut off, they looked at the clock. It was 10.15. She's like, Preston, we lost an hour of time. Hmm. And I'm like, ah. You know, she hadn't read Bud Hopkins' book. No one had. This was, Bud Hopkins' book was just newly published. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I'm like, wow. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> and that, that's how I got started. I, I bought all the books. I went to the library, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to disprove these guys. I'm going to show them at Swamp Gas. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't. So I started interviewing them. And I started, you know, joining UFO groups. Mm -hmm. I bought every book I could find. The earth was being invaded by aliens and no one was talking about it. Mm. So I was a little out of my mind uh, with this for a long time until I could really wrap my head around it. Um, I think that's uh, the story for a lot of people, though. You, you look into it and then you're like, no, this can't be real. You know, it's got to be a hoax or it's got to be something that's not it, it can be explained, and and I'm going to be the one to explain it. I'm sure a lot of people go through that. <laughs> um, now, doing the research, and and I find it fascinating that everybody's description is a little bit different as far as the shape of the crafts, the if it has lights, where it has lights. Um, did you find a common denominator when it comes to the shapes? Uh, not as much as I would have liked. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, some sort of, I mean, there's definitely your classic saucer shape, mm. which turns up quite a bit. Little lights around the perimeter. I've, I've heard that many times. A light on the bottom, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, you get a huge variety of shapes. Mm -hmm. The most common is, I'm going to say saucer shaped, triangular shaped or V shaped and globe or, you know, perfectly round. Okay. But beyond that, you name it. I mean, I've heard it. Yeah. Uh, rectangular shaped up. Uh, hexagons, septagons. I mean, all these weird shapes. 
And people say, you know, it wasn't even symmetrical. It was asymmetrical with some sides being longer than others. Hmm. Um, Blob-like objects, um, clusters of lights, uh, manta ray shaped. In this particular area, you know, uh, Hmm. focusing on in terms of uh, off the Southern California coast Mm -hmm. and all this USO activity. Right. uh, Huge variety of shapes. I mean, even anomalous clouds. Uh, spherical, uh, <laughs> rectangular, box-shaped. Uh, I could go on and on. It's just really hard to categorize. Yeah. Um, one one shape that I've always found odd is the cigar-shaped. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely one that turns up a lot. You know, I've noticed sometimes these things look like one shape from one angle, and if you look straight up at it, it's circular. You know, because a saucer-shaped craft can look cigar-shaped. Edge on. Uh, yeah, that's true, I guess, yeah. And, and I've gotten a few of those that I'm like, huh, all right. I mean, changing shapes is certainly not unusual. And for that matter, these things can divide, as I'm sure you know. And, yeah, I've heard that before, too, yeah. You know, little little ships coming out of mother ships and, mm-hmm. you know, two, two objects coming together and forming one object. Uh, not unusual. So, as far as the undersea UFO base and... Um, you know, that's the name of the book. What brought you to the conclusion that there, there must be some type of base because of the, how much, um, traffic is going on there as far as UFOs and USOs are concerned, or is it more so, um, just doing the research and you've dug up some stuff or how did you come to to the conclusion that there might be a base? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, as soon as I started doing research here, you know, in this Southern California area where I'm based, mm-hmm. um, I, I started getting USO reports, unidentified okay. smir- submerged objects. And, I, you know, I cataloged them, documented them along with the rest. And, yeah, I did notice that there was a lot in this one area. And that was my initial, I'm going to call it data point, uh, pointing towards the possibility that there's mm-hmm. an undersea base. And as it, you know, as these accounts mounted, uh, I decide I wrote this book, UFOs over California. And okay. I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include a chapter just on the ocean going ones because there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's what I did. And the book got published and I thought, okay, I'm going to publicize the book. I'm going to submit an article based on this book excerpted. And I think I'll choose that undersea article because I'd gotten two new reports or three, you know, uh, that weren't in the book. Okay. And so I'm gathering all my research. I'm like, holy cow, I found a bunch more. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, okay. And, you know, and, and, you know, to date, I've collected about uh, 70, what I would call classic USOs going in or out of the water or under the water there or, you know, floating on the water and 70 U- UFOs above the water there. I mean, 150 reports. In this one area, stretching back to about the 1920s, actually, hmm. to the cur- current day. And yes, that was my initial data point. I was like, oh my God, there is an enormous number of reports in this one area. What is going on? Because hmm. if, I mean, if you look at Northern California, say, or Oregon, hmm. or, you know, Texas, a- anywhere along the East Coast, you don't have these uh, levels of activity of USOs. Right. So that was my first data point. I'm like the huge number of accounts 
in a sharply defined area over a very long period of time. How do you explain that? Right. And I, I wrote this article for Fate magazine called, Is There an Undersea UFO Base Off the California Coast? Because I had gotten another data point, which was actually really a powerful one, in that there's a, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who've been taken on board UFOs, abductees, mm-hmm. right? Ex- experiencers, contactees. And uh, you can almost kind of predict what they're going to say. Their experiences vary a little bit, but generally speaking, people describe, you know, gray type ETs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're describing laid out and examined. Perhaps they're given messages, uh, this sort of thing. Right. But, but I've got, you know, just a smattering, a couple of cases, not a lot, where people were taken in this area. And by this area, I mean uh, off the Southern California coast, say uh, the Channel Islands, Santa Barbara at the north end. And stretching straight down uh, between Catalina Island and the mainland, all the way you know to Rancho Palos Verdes, Long Beach, San Pedro, this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even farther down actually to San Clemente. And but it's this particular area. I've talked to a number of people who were taken, but not on board a UFO. They said that's not what happened to me. Like one guy, a pilot, and a doctor, a medical doctor described how he had a missing time encounter on Catalina Island as a child. And he had had other incidents throughout his life and finally went under hypnotic regression. And lo and behold, you know, he's taken to this incident where he had missing time in Avalon, right on the cove there, very densely populated area. And he recalled being taken into an underground area. Underground, he said. I'm like, really? He says, yeah, there wasn't metals walls. That's what I expected. He'd read a little bit about UFOs at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of shocked him. And uh, yeah, he said they were rock walls, definitely rough hewn, natural, a smooth floor, but a, and inside a very large kind of dimly lit cavern. And he didn't see gray type ETs. He saw more of the praying mantis type insectoid. Okay. Is what he said. Wearing little white jackets or cloaks. Uh, the experience was not frightening for him. His friend was with him, and his friend was apparently the uh, target of the visit because his friend was taken away, and he was told, you just sit there and wait. Okay. Uh, w- which he did. But I thought, wow, you know, okay, he's taken to an underground area. That's interesting. Because mm-hmm. um, I had had a couple of other abductees tell me that they thought there was an, a base in this area. And I'm like, yeah, I'm beginning to think so, too. <laughs> Uh, what, uh, another lady, a photographer, same thing, taken to an underground area. She says it was huge. Hmm. And so, you know, I built up a number of data points, not just those, but s- some other really remarkable ones, uh, which we can talk about pointing, you know, towards the existence, you know, the possible existence. I haven't proved it. <laughs> Darn it. I mean, gosh, how do you explain this? I mean, how do you explain the huge number of reports for one? And second, people who are being taken into what appears to be an underground area in this same exact area. Right. Well, the one thing that uh, I've heard a couple of times is that, you know, the whole reason we're having so much UFO activity come up is not because aliens are coming here to visit. They've always been here and they've been inside of the planet, not out in the outer 
space part of the planet. So it's really interesting that I've, a lot of these people have come out saying it was underground that I was. I wasn't on a ship or something that was metallic in nature. That's really interesting. Now, for those of us that don't know the difference, what is the difference between a an unidentified flying object and a unidentified submerged submerged object? Uh, really, nothing. <laughs> I mean, a UFO is flying, and a USO is submerged. And the problem is, you can't call it a UFO if it's not flying. Okay, so it could be the sort same of, same um, crafts just going underwater when they get yeah, to that point. I, I mean, it, they clearly are the same thing. These craft have the ability to go into the water at high speeds, okay, uh, really fast. They have the ability to go out of the water at high speeds. Uh, they have the ability to travel under the water just as fast as they do in the sky, <laughs> which is really remarkable. I mean, a lot of the cases I've got are people describe oh, a couple of hundred miles an hour, perhaps a mm. hundred miles an hour, or it's just floating along. Uh, but a few, then they're like, no, this thing was darting around underwater like nobody's business. <laughs> I mean, so they have got to have a force field or something that allows them to do this. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them do come up out of the water and they track the water with them and cause a kind of a little waterfall. But generally speaking, no. And they, when they dive in, there's usually no splash. There's no sound. And, and as far as I know, we don't have anything that can do that, uh, go in and out of the water. I mean, there's a great case that occurred in uh, 1954 to a Japanese steamship. Aliki was the name of the ship off the coast of Long Beach. And uh, they saw this, what they thought was a fireball, comes down, 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 hits the water, goes underwater, moves around underwater, comes back out, <laughs> takes off. Hmm. And, uh, well, clearly not a fireball, right? Right. I mean, uh, so these objects do have a really amazing ability to do things we can't do, certainly officially. Right. So in your opinion, you think that all, pretty, pretty much all these cases are extraterrestrial in nature and not something that we could have somehow constructed? Uh, Well, I've looked into it, and that's a really important question, I think, particularly for this area, because it's heavily militarized. It really is. On the north end, there's Point Magoo Naval Base, which is, you know, pretty extensive. Okay. And that's right there on the north end of it. And then south end, there's Seal Beach Naval Weapons Center. Again, pretty highly advanced. LAX Airport, right along the coast there. Uh, San Clemente Island is completely Navy-owned. Uh, it's right beyond Catalina Island. Okay. So, in, in essence, this entire area is surrounded by military. And how can we say that this isn't military that's doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got about five reasons I'm sh- that I think I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure it's not military. <sighs> Uh, w- one of the main reasons, I think, is uh, people who are taken on board these craft aren't seeing Navy personnel. They're seeing greys. They're seeing praying mantis. They're seeing alien humanoids. Mm-hmm. So clear- clearly not humans. So th- that's a very strong reason. Another would be uh, these sightings are taking place over very densely populated areas. I've got a number of cases where these cars 
cars are being chased down the road by these objects, shining lights on them, you know, picking them up. Or, or people are in their house at night, and suddenly the entire interior of their house lights up. They run outside. One of these objects is 50 feet up over their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're scaring the wits out of people. They're putting on displays, what amounts to displays, where they're darting around all over the place, clearly wanting to be seen. This flies in the face of how the military tests their advanced aircraft. Uh, they don't do that. This mm-hmm. could not possibly be military. Uh, another reason is this activity has been going on since the 1920s. And what's happening in the you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s, 50s is these craft darting around. They're silent. They're going in and out of the water. If we had something today that could do that, okay. But in the 50s, <laughs> right. our military well, it was really in its infancy, comparatively speaking. There's no way. Another reason is in this particular area, a good portion of the witnesses are military themselves. I've okay. talked to a Coast Guard captain. I talked to a submarine navigator. I talked to an electrician's mate on a submarine, an engineer on a submarine, another naval officer who is on a Navy sh- nuclear-powered Navy sh- ship. Um, you know, some pretty high-level guys. And they're like, no, I have no idea what it was we were seeing. And furthermore... 20%, maybe 10, 10 or 20% of these cases involve objects that are being chased by the military. Um, again, that's a very strong indication. These are not ours. Uh, there's too many of them, too many sightings for this to be military. And this brings me actually to another data point and uh, just freaks me out every time <laughs> I think about this. Because there are, okay, there's a lot of sightings in an area, right? Okay, I get that. There's some people who say they've been taken what appears to be underground. But there's a type of sighting in this area that's really unusual and you don't hear a lot about. And that's what I would call a mass sighting involving not 10 or 20 objects, but, you know, 50 or 100 or 200. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and I know how this sounds. Like, that's crazy. Uh, but w- there's at least four cases in this area, involving hundreds of objects. Uh, I mean, a good example is what happened on June 14th, 1992. This is when there was a wave of sightings. I've talked to a bunch of people who saw stuff on that night. Some saw one or two objects. Some saw three or four. Some saw about a dozen. But they all saw little pieces of it. I interviewed this one couple who live high on the ridge. It overlooks the ocean. It overlooks the city overlooks the airport they can see everything they're at a very high altitude and they saw early in the evening they were drawn outside because they saw these lights coming up from below from behind okay. a ridge one two three four ten objects right and now normally someone when they see a ufo they see it coming from above right comes flying down right like a star-like object and comes swooping down that's not what these guys were describing and this is the same with all these other mass sightings, by the way. Um, they're coming from below. And what happened was they went back inside and got drawn outside again by another group of objects coming up from behind the ridge. And what happened a third time, they started to count them. And this went on for about two hours to about 11 p.m. at night, started around 8. And by this time, they just went inside. They closed the, the curtains they did not want to see anymore. 
because they the wife was counting them and she says i counted 200 objects wow and, and i know right when she told me that i bust out laughing uh and because the, the husband's like no no actually what happened was the husband's like i think it may have been closer to 100 and that's what made me laugh because i'm like a hundred or two hundred who cares at this right. point <laughs> anything God, over five it's like okay what the heck <laughs> so so this that was another thing that got me scratching my head i'm like okay we have 200 objects coming here and when there was another report a year later and you know another in 2016 uh like this i started going okay Hey, if there's not a base down there, there has got to be a parking lot. Of, <laughs> I mean, because where are all these objects coming from? Right, right. And so, I mean, these data points started to build up, and even there's still even more after that. Yeah. So, so if there if there is a base, how big does this thing have to be? Because you're saying hundreds of UFOs or USOs. Um, coming out of the water, like how big would this have to be to to support how many that these people have been seeing? Yeah, you know that it's pure speculation, obviously, until we go there, right? <laughs> uh, but big, obviously, really big. I did talk to one guy who uh, saw UFOs on that one night, June fourteenth, nineteen ninety two, as a bunch of people did. He was down by the beach. Most of the people I talked to were kind of in the canyon areas. Oh, okay. Uh, but he was down by the water. And here's the sudden waterfall coming from behind him. He, he was facing the land. Turns around and sees this giant, giant, giant craft. And there's all these tiny little ones, like the size of bugs, around it. Well, he's estimating these tiny little ones were about 20 feet across, which means the big one, he's like, I couldn't tell you, it was you know, big as a stadium at least. And just rivers of water were coming off of it. Now, he didn't see it actually come up out of the water, but he could see the water flowing off of it. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he said, it took maybe three seconds for this thing to go off into the distance. Real fast, just darted north up the coast. And uh, other people saw it uh, who, who were there with him at the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's described it as being very large. I'm guessing that it, you know, it's got to be... You know, acres and acres. Now, here's something that's really interesting. Going to another data point. Uh, I, I started speculating early on that there's some sort of a base there. So, mm. And certainly, I'm not the only one. I mean, Robert Stanley, okay. he's an early researcher, also started speculating. He was the first, actually. He says, I think there might be a base down there. Okay. When I found out that he said that, I'm like, holy cow. You know, I'm not the only one. <laughs> and he's seen these objects coming in and out. Uh, and Anne Druffel, another famous researcher, Bar Barbara Lamb, uh, Yvonne Smith, they all know about this. Bill Hamilton. <gasps> I was a relative latecomer, um, to this. Okay. But, uh, but it's very well known in this area that there is something going on, not only among researchers, but among the locals. Mm -hmm. And, and, it, uh, it was 2006 is when I really started digging into it deep. And it was about five or so years later, six, where these Google images started to go viral. I was contacted by the guy who actually, you know, was responsible for it going viral. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, uh, using Google, Google applications, um, he found this anomaly 
off the Malibu coastline, uh, Malibu, California, uh, right kind of in the center of this area. Okay. Now, prior, prior to this, I had marked all the sightings on a map. And I put little dots. I'm like, here's a USO and here, 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 here. And they're all clustered right here, like really thick in Malibu, right? And it was right over this so-called anomaly. Now, this anomaly looks like a really flat surface. It's, you know, a thousand feet underwater or so. Okay. Uh, about six, six miles off the coast. Uh, huge. And uh, using Google applications, you can kind of go and get a sideways view. And sideways, it shows what appears to be this thick top with columns, you know, a, a row of columns and a tunnel, a really deep looking tunnel. I'm like, holy cow, this is, you know, it looks strange. It does. I'm a little bit on the fence about it because there are other uh, viewpoints using Google applications where this tunnel isn't showing. Okay. Uh, it looks more like a landslide, Right. And uh, the columns, got to be, you know, totally objective about this, aren't uniform. They're not. They look a little haphazard. Uh, I'm not sure they're artificially constructed. Okay. The top, the top of it looks really smooth. It does. So there's a number of little things. You're looking at this like, wow, this is strange. But, of course, when it went viral, everyone had an opinion. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of so-called experts and real experts I mean, the debunkers came in strong and said, nope, you know, clearly not. It's just a landslide. It's called Sycamore Knoll. And uh, the geologists say, no, it's, you know, it's just a landslide. It's an earth. It's a thrust fault is what it is. An earthquake fault. Okay. And then you've got, you know, other people saying, well, no, I mean, what's the tunnel? Look at the tunnel. And the problem for me is why some images on will show a tunnel and some don't. And you can't be objective and say, I choose the ones that don't <laughs> say that right. it's not there. Anyone, you can choose the ones that say, well, look, there's the tunnel. So I'm a little on the fence about it. But I, I have to tell you, it's intriguing for a number of reasons because it's right there in the middle of all of this. Hmm. And, and what's not in the book, and I found this out just recently uh, from a witness who talked to a Native American a Chumash elder. Okay. Uh, the Chumash are the Gabrielano Indians. They lived in this area for a very long time, thousands of years. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know about the anomaly. Uh, we believe it's artificially constructed. And thousands of years ago, when the sea level was lower, they could actually sit on top of this thing, they said. This, this Native American elder said. And they could fish off of it. And whoever built it, it was there long before they came to Chumash. Wow. So, so I don't know. You know, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Uh, I ha- what I also find interesting, and here's another data point. You know, they start to build up, is what I call the whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. All right. And four or five people have contacted me. One guy's been contacting me for years and years and has told me all kinds of stuff. But he said long ago, he says, You know about the tunnel in this area, right? And I'm like, no, this is well before the images came out. Oh, okay. And I'm like, what tunnel? He's like, yeah, there's a tunnel. It leads from, get this, from, uh, he says, Area 51 to Edwards Air Force Base to the channel area. 
off the coast here. He wouldn't say specifically where it came out. Uh, and lo and behold, here's this tunnel. <laughs> and you know what? There was three other people who said, oh, you know about the tunnels, right? And I'm like, well, I, what do you know? <laughs> and they told me the same darn thing, even to the point, of, yeah, it goes to Edwards Air Force Base, which I do know goes 50 stories underground because we've got multiple whistleblower accounts testifying to that. Okay. So, okay. I'm like, here we go. I mean, after the, you know, the fifth or sixth data point, like pointing towards this, you're like, okay, if, how do you explain this? Right. Right. Any other way to explain this? And it came to the point where straight out this lady worked in the military says, I can talk about this only because it's all over the internet and that there is a base there. She says, yes, there is. It is military, but the greys come to it and they work together, the military with the greys, and it's right in this area. And uh, wouldn't say anything more than that, but says that the only reason she could talk about it is because it's all over the internet <laughs> saying that there is a base, uh, you know, largely due to my, my research, I think, uh, at least in part. Well, I, I mean, I have heard the the tunnel thing, and I've heard that it um, it's not just in that area. There's a couple areas around the world that have these tunnel systems, and I mean, there's speculation out there that you know the the governments of the world are just waiting for that huge cataclysm where the elite can just get away to these underground bases and everything else. But um, yeah, I have heard that before, and um, it's interesting that some of the some of the images are picking up an opening underwater and some aren't. And one thing that I could think of is maybe if the opening does open and close, it's not just an actual tunnel. There's a door there could be maybe. And that's why it's sometimes picked up and sometimes not. Hey, didn't even think of that. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, for that matter, okay, let's say it is natural. Maybe it's a, a lava tube or a tunnel or something, mm-hmm. you know, right. Um, that doesn't preclude it from being used. Right. By ETs or military. And another thing is, if these, uh, these objects can go in and out of the water, you know, real fast. Well, they can do this to land, too. You know, this is not super well known. But, yeah, there's a number of reports where these objects are seen just coming down to the ground. The ground appears to open up and swallow them. And I think they're using their same little force field thing <laughs> that they got going on hmm. to be able to travel underground. You know, they don't necessarily need a tunnel. Right, so maybe right. maybe that's not the base. Uh, maybe it's somewhere else. But I, I don't know. I just find it so amazing that you know. Some I was told about this long before it became well known, uh, and it's right in the middle of all this activity. I mean, it fits perfectly right with this puzzle. Absolutely, it's a perfect blocking piece. Well, and for the Native Americans to even say, oh, yeah, we know about the anomaly, it goes back even further than we were there. I mean, to that alone suggests that even if it's not artificial, maybe somebody had eventually maybe uh, smoothed it out the top of it and had used it as a natural base instead of an artificial one. And I mean, one thing that comes to mind with that is since it does go back that far and say it was artificial, it goes back that far with water erosion and everything else. Now, granted, if you when you think of an ET, you think they have materials that wouldn't necessarily erode or or decay over time. But in my opinion, the stuff that we know of now would decay over time. And 
start looking like it's uneven or something like that. Is that a, a something that comes to mind for yourself as well? That's a really good point. That one that I haven't heard anyone talk about <laughs> um, to explain, you know, the, these columns. Right. Because um, I don't know. It's a huge thing, this anomaly. So if it was built, boy, that's a feat of architecture that's pretty well beyond us. Right. And if it is anomalous, artificial, probably built a pretty long time ago. And that's all by all indications. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, as far as USO activity, there's not a whole lot in ancient history in terms of you know recorded accounts. Right. There's hasn't been a lot of research into this particular facet of uh, UFOs. Only a little bit, you know. There's some scattered sightings throughout history, but as far as this area, the earliest I could find was the 1920s. You know that I would specifically call a USO, and really, I, not until the 19 late 1940s. Coinciding exactly, you know, with Roswell and Kenneth Arnold and the whole modern age of UFOs, this is when it began. Uh, re- really, from that point on, on a yearly basis, pretty much there's a, one or two really well documented USO sightings, and so maybe that's when they moved in. <laughs> um, right. I, I I don't know, uh, but I mean, there's one account. It's a great example. Uh, this was in 1947, and it started actually in the Northern California area, in the San Francisco Bay area, when a bunch of freighters and ships started to complain about this reef, a disappearing reef, a mystery mountain that was underwater and causing havoc with navigation. And it kept you know appearing in different locations until finally they just called the Navy and said, you've got to send someone up here and figure out what's going on. Because something's going on, mm-hmm. and the Navy sent up a ship called uh, the Mori, and a survey ship, a Navy survey ship, and they actually found this thing. They tracked it, something large underwater, and they didn't know what it was. And they tracked it south, um, right off the coast here, a couple of hundred miles out, caught it on their depth sounders again, and that was the last time they saw it. Uh, but a great case where the you know the again the navy's officers are the witnesses. Right. <laughs> you know, it's on their depth sounders. It's it's great evidence, and they don't know what it was. So and it just goes on from there. There's a number of cases where these objects will target boaters. Uh, like a really interesting case in the Channel Island area, the North End. This was let me see. I have the date written down. 19. 80s, mid-1980s, the senior electronics engineer had a fully outfitted boat, you know, pretty big little yacht there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was at night. He's heading towards the, in between Catalina Island and the Channel Islands and sees this green glow ahead of him. It's pretty foggy, so he can't quite tell what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's this weird green glow, you know, no navigation lights, no running lights of a normal ship. Uh, so he's confused and stops his boat because he doesn't want to have a collision. This thing comes straight for him, scares the living daylights out of him. And he realizes it's underwater <laughs> coming for him and goes right under his boat and stops. And this same thing in a number of cases. They come and they target people, <laughs> um, sometimes over the boat too as well for that mm-hmm. matter. But came right under his boat, compasses start slowly spinning and 
spinning and one breaks off of its mounting, wow. his entire electronics goes haywire and then cuts out. You know, he's got a depth founder, sounder. That doesn't work. That stops working. Uh, he can see, you know, just looking over the edge that this thing is well bigger than his ship. It's hundreds of feet across. It's not that far down, maybe 100 feet, maybe 50. Mm-hmm. And, and just said, scared the living daylights out of him. And finally, it just moves off and he's like, breathes a sigh of relief because he does not know, you know what this thing is going to do. Right. And he didn't have any missing time or anything? Um, not that he's aware of. Okay. Which, which you know, means nothing really. Right. Uh, because it's easy for people to, you know, not notice something like that. Right. Uh, particularly if they don't want to. <laughs> right. Or if they're scared out of their mind, they wouldn't even know the difference anyways. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, gosh, these things target you. I got it. You know, it's not only in this area that I've, that there is USO activity, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all over the world. I've gotten contacted by a number of people who saw stuff in other areas. Uh, one guy had a very, very similar experience to the one I just described right off the coast of Florida, sort of right on the edge of the Bermuda Triangle there. Okay. Um, he and his wife are longtime sailors, have sailed their whole lives. They've had submarines surface next to them. You know, they've seen seen it all except one time uh they saw these really bright beams of green light and it's freaking them out because it was one beam after another kind of rotating okay and suddenly this object comes right under their boat and it's this bright green round thing sending off green beams of light uh there was no uh influence on their boat in terms of electronic disturbances or anything like this and neither of them wanted to go below to check the depth sounder because <laughs> uh, they wanted they wanted to look at it you know yeah <laughs> and, uh, so, so there we go again these things targeting people but i've got cases of uh these objects in rivers there's a, another case in a tiny little lake in florida another in an even smaller lake this guy contacted me uh outside hot springs arkansas lake hamilton hmm. uh just some amazing stories. My favorite is talking to these Navy guys, though. Oh, my God. Those are good witnesses. <laughs> well, so then, in your opinion, do you think that our our government has anything to do with this? Or, I mean, because obviously the one one woman said, hey, we we are aware of it. But apparently there are military personnel that are not made aware of it. So, I mean, is it just people that have that? set of clearance that know about it? Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. As uh, research has shown, this subject is heavily compartmentalized within the intelligence agencies. Mm-hmm. And it's only on a need-to-know basis. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to educate yourself on the subject if you're in the military and people at the higher levels. Mm-hmm. I think pretty much know this is real. Uh, Point Magoo Naval Base was contacted by a MUFON field investigator because uh, they wrote an article about this uh, activity here. Okay. And they said, oh, yeah, we're aware of the rumors of a base. They're not true, <laughs> what they said, uh, which is not what I heard from insiders. Right. The <laughs> uh, they said there is a base. But, I mean, the problem is it's, there's a cover-up. I mean, right. here's, here's a perfect example. This is a case which occurred on the East Coast 
1971, uh, aboard the USS Clamagor, which, by the way, is a nuclear, I mean, a submarine that carries nuclear missiles. Okay. Or did at that time. It's retired. And I talked to an electrician's mate on the USS Clamagor. His name is Ray Sachs. Really neat guy. And uh, he was on lookout on the deck of the submarine. It was on the surface of the water at mm-hmm. night, heading up the East Coast. And he was a lookout as a petty officer, along with another petty officer. The commander of the sub was also on deck, as was the second in command, when this USO shows up from the stern, this object underwater, really bright, white light, comes zooming up at almost 100 knots, like 80, 90 knots, uh, comes, starts paralleling the boat, pacing the submarine, just about you know 50 feet off. Super close. I mean, ships don't get that close. Right. This thing comes right alongside and starts pacing the submarine at 12 knots. Matches their speed. So that's creepy alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's huge. It's right underwater there. All they can see is this very bright light. So the captain turns to Ray, the guy I interviewed, and says, what do the sonar guys see? And Ray contacts the sonar room and they... They see nothing. It's not appearing on their sonar. And so he tells the captain, nope, nothing. I think maybe it's, you know, Captain Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) The captain was not amused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And they're staring at this thing for, you know, 15 minutes. And one by one, all the main officers, the higher level officers, came up on deck to take a little look-see at this thing (laughs) to see if they, well, obviously, none of them could identify it. They all wanted to look at it. And only the upper officers got to. Then they had to go back below. And after about 15 minutes, this thing just starts off in another direction at about 50 knots or so. And it's gone. And the second in command turns to the captain. Meanwhile, Ray and the other guy, they're just jabbering and going on and on about it. (laughs) The second in command turns to them and says, will you shut up? (laughs) And turns to the captain and says, Captain, how do you want me to... Record this in the log. And the commander says, people who record events like this do not move up in rank. Wow. So that was the end. So it didn't get recorded. was not put in the log at all. I have to guess the commander did tell somebody because that's his job. Right. You know, I mean, seriously, they've got to be dealing with this on some level. But I don't know. I don't know that for sure. And uh, Ray, go, you know, the, he was told, don't talk about this. And he goes below deck and instantly every officer comes running up to him and says, what did you say? What did you say? That's a buzz of the ship. And of course, he told everyone. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this event was not officially recorded. And how many events are not officially recorded at all? Right. If I've got, if I've got 150 accounts, right, of documented cases by people who, by some miraculous, you know, Good faith effort actually contacted MUFON, say, or right, the right. or somebody. One in a hundred people don't. Let's let's say it's one in ten. That would still leave, you know, thousands mm-hmm. of cases in this one area. So, as far as the, the, any estimates of how active UFO activity is, not only in this area but in general, worldwide, we're vastly underestimating it. We really are. 
It's going on at all times. Right now, someone's being abducted somewhere on Earth. How often in your research for this particular book was it that compared to the art, excuse me, artificial um, surroundings compared to the almost tunnel or cave-like surroundings, what uh, type of percentage was it that people reported? Very, very, very small. I got like three cases. Okay. (laughs) So, so almost none. I mean, I did get one case recently that's not in the book where Lady Astral traveled, you know, went out of her body. That's an ability she apparently has and has demonstrated to people. Okay. Which I believe in because I've had my own out of body experiences. Okay. I got, I got really into it. I wrote a book about it. It's absolutely a real phenomena. Uh, but as far as proving it to someone, that's another matter. But pretty much anything in the out. paranormal to try and prove any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. But she says flat out, oh, yeah, went in there. There was gray type ETs. They were really surprised to find me there. They could see her in her astral state. She says, I'm like, well, what did it look like? She says, metal walls. There was lots of really weird looking metal equipment. I got very nervous and left because they did not seem to be happy to see me there. Uh but yeah, almost nobody that I've talked to has actually been inside it. I've got that whistleblower account. I've mm-hmm. got doctor's account, a lady who's a photographer, this other lady, and that's about it. Uh, so it's not a super strong data point. The best data point I have is the huge number of accounts because it's just one after another after another right. after another. <gasps> and uh, some really great accounts. I mean, here's one. This occurred in, let me see, it was 1956, Redondo Beach, right in the center of all this. This 20-foot-wide orange object comes gliding, is how it was described, gliding down out of the sky, lands on the water and sinks beneath the waves and stays there. It's causing all this light, all these bubbles and froth, and it's seen by all, all these lifeguards. It's seen by the Redondo Beach Police Department. Uh, it's also seen by Hermosa Beach police officers. There's okay. a night watchman who's watching, a bunch of residents, a bunch of you know people on the beach. There's a huge crowd of people watching this thing. The lifeguards, you know, finally send out a little rowboat because they can still see this thing glowing mm-hmm. and get right over it. You know, and they can see it's bigger than their little rowboat and it's pretty darn bright. And uh, finally, it just winks out. And the next morning, the Navy sends out divers with geiger counters so right there tells you they're taking this thing seriously right right this is not you know some chinese lantern or what have you right they're, they're spending money on this uh so in time they go out there find nothing and the publicity you know because there were so many witnesses was kind of ramped up on this thing and it was appearing in newspapers and the public wanted an explanation and the navy gave one <laughs> it's a ludicrous one. And gosh darn it, our tax dollars are being used to make this phenomena look ridiculous, make witnesses look like idiots. So that's our tax dollars at work. And these, this Navy officer said that what people saw was a light buoy, you know, a buoy <laughs> on the water with a light on it. Which, which says nothing about how this thing actually came out of the sky, for one thing, right? right. 
or about how it's 20 feet across, how it went underwater, and, and on and on and on. I mean, it doesn't match the evidence. So what are you talking about? And they're like, no, it was a light buoy. Here's a picture. This is what people saw. It's about a foot across, by the way. Uh, I mean, really? How stupid do you think we are? Well, that's just like the Roswell incident. You know, they came right out and said right away it was a UFO and then recanted and said, no, we're sorry. It was a weather balloon. No, wait, it was something else. (laughs) So, um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. With that Roswell incident, we came that close to having a very different world. Right. They had just left it, you know, like, yeah, it was a UFO. Let's all look at it. <laughs> Come, that would have been great. You know? <laughs> oh, but no, they've, they've continued this policy of not only covering it up, but ridiculing witnesses. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get really good. Okay, fine. Cover it up. Don't make people look like fools. Right. That's, that's unconscionable. Yeah. Uh, to really, you know, debunk a phenomena they know darn well is absolutely real. They know it. Uh, and to make other people look like fools when they know what they're, I mean, come on. It's, yeah. And it's still going on. Still. Yeah. Cover up is crumbling. There's a real just strong disclosure movement. Right. Uh, whistleblowers are coming out of the woodwork. I've talked to a bunch myself. People, you know, people literally on their deathbed. One guy contacted me from a hospital. Wow. So I've got to get this out, and I've got to let people know what I saw at Edwards Air Force Base is what he saw. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, this, the cover-up is, I don't agree with it at all. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to uh, do, do everything in my power to end it. We have a right to know. Right. It's, this is our world, too. These guys who are covering it up, I get really passionate about this, have no right they have no legal recourse to do this. I agree. Uh, I mean, yes, there are such things as legal, you know, secrets that the government has to keep. Uh, but by, by this point, come on. Right. We, we all know. We all know they have the saucers. We all right. know it. Uh, I think the evidence is overwhelming that we have alien bodies and crash saucers and alien technology. The well, time is now. The technology boom within the past 40 to 50 years alone, I mean, would suggest we've somehow uh, back engineered some type of technology that we didn't have before. I mean, I'm talking to you on a computer that used to take up an entire room and through magic, if you will, quote unquote, I'm on the, on the internet and looking at you talking to you. So the technology that we have now, I feel has been back, um, back engineered to, to figure that all out. Um, one thing that I found kind of interesting in the book is the mystery missile of 2012. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, this is just, you know, one, <laughs> one weird thing after another. I tell you, yeah. this one kind of threw a monkey wrench into things. I actually saw this thing. Okay. You know, Everyone in L.A. did. You couldn't miss it. Uh, It was, you know, in 2012, this thing comes up out of the water in the middle of the day that looks like a missile coming right out of the Santa Catalina Channel here. And it creates this huge contrail that is just glowing like this giant straight cloud going straight up. And, of course, news agencies actually filmed it, actually filmed this thing, contacted uh one after another, all the bases in this area, 
And one after another, the military denied any knowledge of this object. We don't know what it is. Not us. Hmm. I'm like, hold on a second. Wait. So there's something coming out of the water and you don't know what it is. And they're like, well, no, it didn't come out of the water is what they said. They said, it's a plane. And you take a look at this thing. It's not a plane. Finally, the news organization started dragging in ex-military missile experts to analyze the footage. And each one said, well, <laughs> well, that's a missile. That's a missile. Looks like a missile to me. Probably from a submarine, possibly even a foreign submarine, if we're not talking about it. Maybe Chinese, perhaps, but with some speculation. To this date, our government has not come clean on this. Come clean. They haven't talked about it. They still say it's a plane, but nobody, they don't know which plane. No plane has ever been identified. They haven't even tried to, you know, just pass off a plane. Saying it's this one. <laughs> nope. We don't know what plane. <laughs> so you're telling me this giant contrail, I mean, it would have to be a jet, right? <laughs> to create a contrail of this size. So here we again, we have this bungling Keystone Cop reaction to something that's highly sensitive, mm-hmm. you know, super I mean, affecting national security, um, yes, <laughs> I would think so. Uh, and is it connected to this UFO activity? Possibly, because it's coming up right in the center of it. Maybe they tried to shoot one of these things down. That was something I thought of. Yeah, that would be a good possibility, uh, I think. Or maybe it is a foreign sub and they just, you know, they're not going to talk about it mm. you know, for national security reasons. But it was covered up, obviously. I mean, if this is... They're not talking about it, and they're issuing ludicrous explanations. Come up with a better excuse or just tell us we can't talk about it. Right. <laughs> well, that's like the Battle of L.A., too. And now that you've been talking about this a little bit, that kind of comes to mind because it was in the California area, maybe not as far down as where this base might be, but maybe a UFO was on its way to dock with the secret base or something. And that's what they saw. But military and government officials say it was just an overzealous military or a a bombarder who wanted to, who got a little jumpy on the trigger. And we were just, everybody started shooting at once because somebody else did. And it's like, okay, come on. There's people (laughs) saying that they actually saw something, but that this stuff went right through it. But then you're going to say it was just somebody with a, a uh, itchy trigger finger. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's a, such a, a great incident to illustrate how our government has dealt with this phenomenon. <laughs> and th- yeah, yeah, this was right in this area, by the way. This, oh, okay. They uh, came over from the coast, from the ocean, our over LA caused a huge blackout. It was right after, you know, Pearl Harbor, a couple of months mm, right. after. Uh, so the entire city went on a, a enforced blackout, and it wasn't just one object. So it was a dozen objects stayed in place over Culver City for over an hour. And we know now, you know, the military denied this, but General Marshall ordered fifteen hundred rounds of ammunition to be shot at this thing. We tried to bring it down, and there's pictures which appeared on the cover of the LA Times the next day of this thing in searchlights, you know, and artillery exploding off of it. I talked to first-hand witnesses, 
And someone said, oh, no, this wasn't Japanese planes. You know, th- these, uh, one of these objects came right low over my house. And it was alien. You know, it was a saucer type thing. It was, couldn't tell what it was, but it was not a plane. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the military tried to call it balloons right. first. first. First, they called it Japanese planes. <laughs> Clearly wasn't. Then balloons. And now, you know, researchers found through the Freedom of Information Act these documents which prove that the government does not know what it was. Right. They don't know. And apparently, more documentation, more documents came out which says we actually shot one of these things down. We, sh- we caught, caught one and recovered it. This came out, you know, not too long ago. Wow. Uh, so I'm like, all right. So it wasn't, you know, this is well before Roswell. <laughs> so, and there's, you know, there's the Cape Girardeau incident in uh minnesota or or, you know the east coast missouri okay i think it was uh that was well before roswell too so we already had these craft in our possession before roswell right the battle of la was apparently one of these instances where we captured one uh i i i don't know i mean but it's an amazing incident yeah well, we are getting close to the end of the show, so I want to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the book, any other information you want to give out. It's all yours. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on the show. I love doing this stuff. Uh, I do have a website. Uh, if you just Google my name, it'll, it should take you there. The actual address is uh, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. That's two N's, two T's. And I've got all my books there, excerpts. Uh, if you want to contact me through my website, you can as well. I always love hearing from people, whether you know, they've got a question or a comment or a story they'd like to share. My books are available on Amazon.com, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble, other online retailers, and at bookstores. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I think this is an important subject, and I'm not giving up. Well, I absolutely encourage you not to. So thank you for being on Beyond Reason and you have yourself a good evening. Thanks very much. All right, folks. That was Preston Dennett, author of Undersea UFO Base. Interesting stuff. Uh, I would love to hear your guys' take on this because quite honestly, it's a fascinating subject for myself. And um, I would love for you guys to get in contact with Preston because uh, he is obviously working on trying to get this stuff proven. So make sure you check out Preston's website, which is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. And you can reach out to him there. And uh, he does have um, Facebook and Twitter and all that great stuff. So definitely check him out. Um, and yeah. That's all I got for you guys this week. So until next week, guys, keep those minds open. This is Justin Cancellari signing off. It's cutting into your exercise time. It's stabbing you in the back nine. And it's attacking your peace of mind. It's pain, and it's getting in between you and the life you want to live. CBD Medic targets your pain at its source. It's fast-acting relief with active OTC ingredients, plus the added benefits of THC-free hemp oil. Get back to your life with CBD Medic, available online and at CVS. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
It's cutting into your exercise time. It's stabbing you in the back nine. And it's attacking your peace of mind. It's pain, and it's getting in between you and the life you want to live. CBD Medic targets your pain at its source. It's fast-acting relief with active OTC ingredients, plus the added benefits of THC-free hemp oil. Get back to your life with CBD Medic, available online and at CVS. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.